0: This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz and John Peters break down news, discuss trends and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now.
1: Your own child. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm ready. That's good. Here we
2: go. It's episode three of season two of the sport lifestyle podcast. Bah, if you talk about the weather, I'll come down there and strangle you.
1: Yeah. It seems as though uh, you guys are experiencing the frozen tundra right now. Uh, you know, you've got a little bit of my sympathy, but it is another nice day here in South Florida today.
3: I was laughing at Neil, last week in uh in Orlando because it was quote-unquote chilly I think it was like 57 degrees at night Neil you had a
2: cardigan on and buttoned up over there in Florida what can I tell you well speaking of being buttoned up in uh Florida Neil uh share with the listeners you uh you're the club champion huh
1: yeah we played our annual uh stroke play event here and uh the Puba had a uh had an amazing two days on the golf course and, uh, walked away with, uh, you know, walked away with the trophy. Uh, that's, uh, stroke play is difficult. If you've ever, if you're a golfer and you ever, you know, played stroke play, you'd know that it can be difficult to play well two days in a row. And, uh, you know what? Every once in a while, blind dog finds a bone and it was my weekend to find the bone. So it was fun. And if
2: you're not a golfer, I'm sure there's a juvenile joke in there, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll move <laughs> on. But on this podcast today, uh, the guys are back from the PGA show, so they will tell us about that. Adidas is experiencing explosive growth because of Yeezy, and we'll have a lightning round. Uh, and our guest today is A-Rod, but not that A-Rod. It's Ann Rodriguez, who most recently served as the Chief Operating Officer of the WNBA. And I know, John, you weren't able to, uh, to, to make this one, but... Uh, I, I think Neil has a new crush.
1: Mike, can I chime in here for a minute? We we have been lucky enough to interview some wonderful people um, so far in our uh, now that we're in our second year of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. But I have to tell you, you know, the Ann Rodriguez interview—I I could have talked to her all day long. She was fascinating on so many levels, and. You know, really told us a lot of uh, great stories and had a lot of great information to to tran- uh, to you know, to transmit or to talk about. So it was really a wonderful interview.
3: And this is no disrespect to Anne, but Neil could talk to anybody
2: all day. I don't know if we but That Either- is true. But, but JP, the, the, the best part is I had breakfast with Anne yesterday when I was in New York. And uh, Neil connected his daughter to Anne. And the way Neil's daughter wrote Anne was – we need to find a time to meet, otherwise my dad won't stop talking about you. Oh boy! Don't make they're it real. Don't make it They're
1: weird. meeting right now. They're actually having coffee today in New York. Uh, um, they do have something in common, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, sports stadiums and arenas and that kind of thing. So uh, Anne and uh, Melissa, my daughter, are actually meeting uh, pretty much as we record this. Well, excellent. Well.
2: Let's get to this, and and since we're in search of a new sponsor, let's just start talking about what's uh, what 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 you guys experienced there at the uh, the PGA, and the uh, you also t- uh, touch base with the folks at the USTA, correct? John, you want to take this first?
3: Does this mean Mike has to get a real job? We lost we lost our sponsor. I had no idea. Mike has not
2: a real job in quite some time. (laughs) Uh,
3: Yeah, I'll go. Why not? Um, So yeah, we were down there PGA show last week. uh, We as in Neil Schwartz and I and um, walking the floor. You know, uh, overall, I thought the show was pretty quiet um, and not uh, well trafficked in terms of foot space or booths. I don't know if everybody was playing golf the whole time or or what, but. it, it seemed a little bit quieter. I mean, my big takeaway was um, overall health of the big brands uh, that we work with are, are, is pretty strong. Uh, the one thing that I would caution the golf industry on, my biggest takeaway is uh, when you walk to uh, uh, the PGA merchandise show, one of the most jam packed booths every single day was the Top Golf booth. And my takeaway, just looking at that, is uh, it, it's interesting that most customers of Top Golf are not core golfers. Yet at the core golf show that uh, their booth was the most, most packed. So I, that's kind of my broad takeaway. I, I don't know what that looks like in two, three, four years. There was the the tennis show and USTA headquartered event that, that Neil and I went to, which um, Neil, what, what did you think of, of the show first, I guess, before the, before the uh, tennis stuff?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I've been going to the PGA show for a number of years. And of course, there's no secret to my love for the game of golf, Um, but I have to say that, you know, attendance seemed to be really down to me um, and and the booth uh, activity, I mean, TaylorMade, one of the leading manufacturers of equipment was not there and I felt that that really sucked a lot of energy out of the entire room. Uh, You know, look, golf is really suffering in a lot of ways, uh, participation-wise, equipment sales-wise, popularity-wise. You know, I do think, John, talking about uh, top golf um is kind of interesting. There's also a top golf kind of imitator um called Drive Shack that has also sprung up. So, you know, it does seem that the there is this interest in golf in some level, but not really an interest in getting out into, you know, onto 36-hole, I'm sorry, 18-hole golf course and playing. Um, you know, I have to say attendance was down. Um, some of the energy was down. There was a lot of, I'd say, you know, a few booths had a really a lot of energy. There was a lot of energy around Callaway. Um, you know, also Skechers, the footwear brand, um, you know, has really done a great job of of entering that category in about the last three years. So there's really a lot of activity, but, you know, just to switch over the the tennis part of it, I think was a little bit more problematic. John, wouldn't you say that it was a little kind of problematic in terms of, you know, both the amount of activity and really what was going on there.
3: Yeah. And, and for our listeners, um, been going to the PGA show for several years, the tennis industry association, TIA, what Neil's referring to, uh, puts on their Tom conference and they had an innovation center and, you know, their version of a a shark tank kind of pitch event and, and, and a booth space for racket sports. So it wasn't just tennis, but, but all racket sports. And, um, first time they did it and merged it with PGA and, and it was, um, uh, not that well attended. I would say that uh, a lot of companies weren't, weren't as happy to, to be exhibiting and did not get the buyers or foot traffic they thought they would get. Uh, so they've got a, a, a real challenge to figure that out. I think the overall trade show, as I say this winter OR is going on, which I did not go to this year, I, I think the overall trade show environment for our industry is suffering Just just as a general takeaway.
1: My my spies at the OR show, though, tell me that attendance is up definitely from the November show. And uh, there's a lot more uh, retailers there, a lot more people walking the aisles, a lot more activity, and a lot more energy. So, you know, the outdoor retailer show, I, I think, has a different kind of set of challenges and, and problems associated with it. But I think the problems for golf and tennis are just – um, you know, really at the core grassroots level. And I think that, you know, something's going to have to break, you know, at some point in the very near future.
2: I want to come back to to one observation I had from afar, but Neil Schwartz sent me a picture of John <laughs> setting up to the golf ball to take a swing. And he looks like an athlete. He looks like he's sitting on a stool. He's gripped the club right. And then I flip over to Instagram stories and there, John has posted the actual swing and he didn't actually have a rubber band for his hair. And, uh, but John, I, 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 really, I, I really appreciate, you know, the fact that you're willing to put it all out there to everybody that the golf just isn't your game. Hey, you know what? What I, There's a reason my Instagram
3: private for that very reason. But also, you just gotta own it. So, so when I know that I'm bad at something, I you got to own it. And I also just just for the record, that club manufacturer was not a member, and uh, uh, we've turned them into a, a client now. So, uh, some strategery on my part on on the terrible swing and, and getting coached by a uh, I guess it was wait, a coach. wait
1: wait 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 did John just make up a word strategery
3: sort of like the uh, the made up infamous poobah nickname that that seems actually i don't know if it's made up i'm walking around the show floor i didn't tell you this neil but i'm walking around the show floor and a, a buddy from a company uh, blast motion mentioned uh he he did ask who the poobah was so it is kind of growing actually i hate to admit that
2: all right we got we got to move on because i can't i can't take yeah. more of this i mean uh, first, an emoji, and now, you know, people wanting to know who the real Pooh is. All right, so Didas continues to grow, but now there's explosive growth, 600%. Neil, do we know if it's coming off a small base? Is it a big base? What, what's happening?
1: You know, this Yeezy situation is pretty interesting. Um, you know, in uh, the sports, uh, this SSI data, we sho- show just a huge increase you know, somewhere between 500 and 600%, you know, just for the Yeezy brand. I mean, but th- you know, this is all about their current strategy, which is Yeezys for everybody or democratization of the brand. And I think despite, you know, uh, Kanye West's, uh, you know, his affinity for Donald Trump and Make America Great and all the things else, I think this I think this democratization moved of the Yeezy brand in a lot of ways worked for Adidas in the short term. Worked for them in two reasons. Number one is that clearly they were able to benefit during the holiday season by being able to increase uh, the sales volume five to six times on the Yeezy brand. Number two is that their Ultra Boost, which is their more expensive uh, kind of fashion running, running casual athletic line. Um was able to draft off of this movement. So I think from a holiday standpoint or a Q4 standpoint, I think that Adidas was really able to take advantage of these two things. Now, downside, Yeezys did not sell out. I think this is the first time I can ever remember that after a Yeezy release, they did not fully sell out. So it was available. So is this sending a signal that maybe this is the beginning of the end For the Yeezy style or the Yeezy movement, uh, I don't know personally, it might be the beginning of the end, and uh, you know, they were able to kind of uh, you know, shoot the moon, so you know, I think we'll have to see.
2: JP, are we going to see that extra inventory on guilt? That would be
3: a kiss of death, in my opinion. Um, the I'd be curious on what you know. I did not know they didn't sell out, you Neil. Know, but but I've been kind of preaching a easy kind of luxury, just in general, our industry luxury side fatigue for a while. Um, I just I just don't know how sustainable a lot of that that stuff is. And the collector's edition, that's all cool, but how many units and at what average selling price uh, ultimately is the questions? And then and then to Mike's point, the first thing I thought about was what were the comps they were up against? You remember when we talked to Josh Luber yes. last season? He even alluded to. Uh, the Yeezy softness and on StockX. So, uh, you know, I think it's all relative at, at the end of the day. We'll something to watch for. The,
1: the comps were actually next to zero because quite frankly, you know, with the democratization move where the Yeezy's for everybody, all of a sudden Yeezy started showing up in retail outlets where they never showed up before. So, you know, if you go from zero to something, it's something. But, you know, I do think that, you know, in some ways this might be a last gasp effort uh, for the brand and uh you know we'll have to see i think as we get into kind of april and may it's
2: a good thing that millennials do not shop at costco because there <laughs> have been times where uh shoes have shown up there yeah all right boys you up for a lightning round sure hit me hit you hit me. talk about the weather again i'm gonna hit you um <laughs> so uh so neil you, you were pretty vocal about this this morning. Uh, uh you know Nike's in trouble for apparently being offensive to Muslims what's going on
1: yeah I'm not sure I would say they're in trouble, but I do think that um this kind of caught my eye this morning i was uh on uh Bloomberg and uh there are a number of people that feel that the new air max logo is somehow um you know uh you know somehow denigrating or somehow it's uh offending Muslims uh because it somehow references Allah and, and all that. And you know what? The more I look at it, and I've looked at it like upside down, I put it in a mirror to see if maybe I was missing something, but you know, I, I'm not sure about this. This this to me looks almost like a false flag kind of a thing, if you know what I mean. I mean it's in, they say it resembles the word Allah in Arabic. How many people would actually know that, including me? So um, you know this. This to me might be a a big nothing story. Although I'm sure they're going to make some noise, get some noise out of it.
3: JP, what opinion. do you think? Yeah, I, I I didn't see it. I mean, I don't want to risk being disrespectful. I don't read Arabic, but but I got to say, I think this is indicative of uh, a greater problem of the generation that is known as the fragility generation, where everybody gets offended by something. There's there's a great um psychologist, author with this new book, Jonathan Haidt, talks about how the generation younger than me, uh, everyone gets offended by everything, and you're actually rewarded for that. So uh, yeah, I'm kind of at my peak fatigue level of everybody just being upset by something.
1: Hey, everyone, stay tuned uh, for our upcoming interview with uh, Ann Rodriguez, a former Uh, she was with formerly with the NBA. Um, interestingly enough, I just got a text from my daughter, Melissa, who actually had coffee with uh, A-Rod today. And she gave me four words. A-Rod is awesome. So, uh, I think, uh, stay tuned for the interview coming up.
2: Yeah. That's just proof that one of the three of us is going to be replaced by her. If, uh, if uh, (laughs) we can, we can figure out how to do it. How worried Keep it up all right, so Puma's now uh, going to go after the uh, the self lacing market. if you had to choose between the two, who would you buy?
1: Neither one
3: that I'm, I'm actually um, I'm buying this podcast because apparently Puma listened to my idea. It's a great idea good for them. Sorry to cut you off neil i just I just can't wait no problem, six no months problem. from now when we look I'm back just, at this and this is a success I'll, I'll bring it back. don't, don't worry. What, I can't New-
1: wait till does they're New- on to Cor- the. Go, go ahead. ahead.
2: No, no, no. Go ahead.
1: I can't wait till I see them on, like Stephen Colbert or James Corden, do a goof on these shoes, and uh, it's going to happen. There, I can't wait. Um, I think they will generate some buzz. Obviously, if it you know gets on James Corden or you know Stephen Colbert, generates some buzz. But you know, again. Um, You know, the one thing that Puma is doing a little bit differently, though, is that they are calling it a smart training shoe um, and it's going to have some other sensor capabilities. John and I have, you know, talked about sports technology ad nauseum, not just on the show, but also uh, in person. So I think, you know, they're trying to take a little bit different of an approach. But, you know, I think the self-lacing sneaker thing is just kind of a gimmick.
2: My, my fantasy is the self-lacing sneaker laces them too tight and somebody on a bird scooter ends up, you know, you know, ending the whole scooter craze. But uh, Going through a plate glass window? Yeah, yeah. Because they'll probably be wearing an Under Armour space suit. What do we think about that? For those who don't J. know, Kevin Plank was down on uh, Richard Branson's island. And apparently, they got into this whole conversation, had time to talk about it, and it looks like they're going to be in the spacesuit business now for Virgin's galactic uh, you know, space travel.
1: Uh, John, you take this one. Um,
3: <laughs> John I'm really struggling. Nobody to come wants with a, a <laughs> statement about it. I, I think that if you're going to go to space, um, you should look good. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what i got
1: well you know it's uh, one th- you know it's uh look i don't wish i don't wish ill on anything but uh you know i'll be uh, this whole venture to me seems a little bit of uh, I guess what they call a flight of fancy if you know what i mean so uh a pun you know if, if somehow kevin if somehow kevin plank thinks that this is going to you know help under armor um with a lot of their I would say much larger issues than you know what. Good luck.
2: Yeah, my my guess is the market is not that big just yet.
1: Um, <laughs> all right, so let's end
2: on this. Has anybody outside of L.A. heard from Levar Ball? Who?
1: But um, bump. Two years ago, I would do interviews and talk to people, whether it was on Bloomberg or, you know, in the press, and people were asking me all about Big Baller Brand and. And you know what? If I asked, if I lined up ten people on the street and asked them if they ever heard a big baller band, you know what they'd say? What? So, needless to say that uh, I think that was a lot much who, who do you about guys got about the
3: Super Bowl, real quick.
1: I hate the Patriots, so uh, I don't have to go there any further.
2: Weak. i i i New England's going to win it.
1: But I do like Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft is a wonderful man a philanthropic man um, you know I'm just not a Patriots football fan but I am a fan of the man, you
2: way. you qualify everything so if they win time. it's
1: it's you called know. hedging it's called hedging it's <laughs> yeah, called hedging I see that JP what about you
2: uh, my
3: heart says Rams but the head and brain says Tom Brady's going to
1: win again I'm sure that will happen like don't him. bet on Tom Brady don't bet against Tom Brady
2: <laughs> all right I, I know Neil is, is, is ready for us to talk, Dan, so let's get to Dan.: Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. We have a special guest today, and before we get to our guest, you know, my grandfather always said a testament to one person's character is the friends they keep. And as much as I like to say, Neil is a good friend, Anne's an even better, f- no, I'm kidding, Neil, but Anne is a, is a wonderful person and, and I, I can't, you know, say that my character, you know, is, is what it is, but, uh, you know, it, it's really great to have a friend on the podcast and welcome to the Sport Lifestyle podcast.
0: Thanks, Mike. Uh, so great to be here. And, you know, it's been a privilege to be your friend over the last, gosh, 10 years or so and keep up with all the adventures. And it's fun to be a part of this one, too. So thank you very much for including me. Awesome.
2: Well, we're really lucky to have you. And, and, you know, often when we have these conversations with people that have such incredible backgrounds, like yourself, you know, we ask them to share those experiences with our listeners and how those experiences are informing what they're doing today. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of take us through that. And I know sport has been a big part of your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I started, I actually started as an equestrian. That was my first sport, horseback riding, and then um, went on to play lacrosse like all good kids from Annapolis, Maryland do. Uh, Went to Princeton University where I earned a degree in ecology and evolutionary biology and played lacrosse. So use that degree every day, but it's paid for and it was a fun experience. So, um, you know, as as an athlete there, I really enjoyed my experience and, you know, just it continue to sustain my passion for sport, when I finished school, I wanted to give working in the sports industry a shot. And so I had the opportunity to get involved in the Women's World Cup in 1999 uh, as a volunteer, and then went to the Women's Sports Foundation as an intern um, to really kind of get my feet wet in PR and, and get you know more educated about the industry as a whole. Uh and from there, you know, I followed some advice that a, a fellow Princeton alum had given me earlier in my career, um, which is to learn how a company makes money and be a part of it. And, like I'm sure you can appreciate that having been in sales yourself. Um but I spent the next four, four and a half years in sponsorship sales. Um at, uh, three of them at the Washington Freedom, which was the startup women's soccer league, and a team in that league where I worked with Mia Hamm and Abby Wombeck and other sort of world-class athletes. Um, from there, I went to Stanford Business School. Um, I could tell that the league wasn't going in the direction um, that we had hoped, and I had the opportunity to go to Stanford, so I ran at it at full speed. <laughs> and uh, leaving, leaving school, I ended up working for the ownership group of the Oakland Athletics, and we bought a soccer team called uh, the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, said another way, we bought the rights to operate a soccer team called the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, it's a, a Cleveland Browns scenario and, and as you can probably appreciate sort of being in the DMV, you know, the Browns the Browns left Cleveland, became the Ravens and and the ownership in in Cleveland retained the rights to operate a team called the Browns, and then they got an expansion team later. Um, That's essentially the same thing that happened in San Jose. And so I wanted to do two things there, buy a team and work on a stadium deal, and we got to do both of those. So we ended up buying an expansion MLS team, and we worked on the land deal that is today Avaya Stadium, which is the home of the San Jose Earthquakes, and has hosted the U.S. Women's National Team and many other world-class teams, uh, including Arsenal for the MLS All-Star Game. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I had the privilege of working there for Mr. Lou Wolf and Mr. John Fisher, who were the co-owners of the A's and, and uh, San Jose Earthquakes. And Mr. Fisher was an early private equity investor in a company called Under Armour. And I wanted to come home to Maryland and Mr. Fisher had a seat on the board and great, great relationships with the company and, and helped me uh, find my way back to Maryland and, and earn an opportunity at UA.
1: So go ahead. And you know, Mike, settle on your background first. I also want to thank you for being uh, on the support Lifestyle mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, we're with uh, Ann Rodriguez, former COO. I guess I got that right of the WNBA, yeah. but that's really only uh, a small part of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I read your resume, you know, mm-hmm. I, I said, "Wow, she has worked with some very interesting people over the years," and 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 I know some of those people. I wouldn't say I probably know them like you do, but sure. you know. Tell me a little bit about the, some of the folks you've worked with and, and their leadership styles, how, how they operated and, and how they ran their businesses and ran their companies.
0: Yeah, sure. So how about I give you a quick summary of those folks and then maybe we, we talk sure. about good lessons learned from them. Um, so Mr. Fush, Mr. Wolf, Mr. Fisher in, in San Jose, um, were fantastic. Um, Kevin Plank at Under Armour, terrific growth experience, worked for him for five and a half years. Um, Arthur Blank, who co-founded the Home Depot and grew it into the number two retailer in the world. Um, I worked for him when we owned the Atlanta Falcons, we bought Atlanta United, and we stood at Mercedes Benz Stadium. Um, And then most recently as being part of the NBA family and and working with Adam Silver, who truly is terrific, and and also WNBA president, Lisa Borders. Um, So really wonderful people. Um, If I really step back and I think about a common thread among all those people, they work extremely hard, and that's not all of the hours in the day. That's just highly, highly focused time and energy. Um, they exhibit just superior attention to detail. Um, the details matter, the little things matter, the follow up matters, every interaction matters, um, you know, as a human being. And I think, I really think all of those people are good human beings. And um, a, a really consistent theme, particularly across sort of Mr. Wolf and Mr. Blank. Um, is this theme of including everyone. And part of it is both of those guys had a lot of real estate experience. Mr. Wolf was a, was a real estate developer and owned a lot of hotels. And, um, you know, Mr. Blank obviously had a ton of experience in real estate via the Home Depot, but also working on the land deal for Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And what you know, I think when you're in that business you've got a lot of people that need to buy into what you're doing. You, bet. you know, these projects are so bad, you're so big, they affect traffic, they affect taxes. You know, just massive implications in infrastructure. And- yeah, massive implications, but also, um, you know, they're endeavoring to build community assets and to build business that supports all the surrounding businesses and a tax base that supports the whole community. And when you're on endeavors that are that large, you really have to be inclusive and engaging. And I remember Mr. Mr. Wolf saying to me, you know, we we're planning an event to launch the earthquakes, we we're going over our invite list. And I remember him saying, one of the things you have to always remember in life is that it is much harder to exclude than it is to include it is always easier to include people and when you include people they start to believe in you and what you're doing and when they feel they have a voice then they start to feel like an owner too and when they feel like an owner too and when you get them excited then they tell everybody else and it creates all this positive momentum and goodwill you always have to remember that and and i think he's right that was a really important lesson
2: well, clearly at this point, listeners are are dumbfounded that we're we're friends because I
1: <laughs> there is dumbfounded that you yeah. and I are friends. Sometimes. No, it's true. No, <laughs> they're
2: they're impressed by both of you, but but Anne, I I, I think that you know as we talked offline. Um, you know, the, the sports industry has changed a lot. And I would say even in just the last three to five years, and, uh, you know, we've, we've had a lot of listeners ask us for more female guests like yourself. And so Mm -hmm. we're thrilled to have you. And I think the, the, a lot of the things you just shared, um, you know, can be helpful to a young woman who is getting into a career. What have you seen? How, how do you see it changing? You know, what are some of the, uh, you know, uh, good things that are happening and then you know what are some of the things that still need to be worked on
0: yeah you know there's a lot of positive momentum in the industry right now um and i think a lot of that momentum does create more opportunity for women which i'm excited about Um, i think when you look at um increasing in reliance on data and opportunities around data analysis and you know sort of being more savvy about retail and digital and certain other consumer engagement tactics that folks are starting to employ, um, I think the sports industry is becoming more attractive um, and really requires people who maybe have grown up in other industries um, and have analogous skill sets that that, they can now bring over. And I think that that helps get women in at kind of the mid and senior levels who didn't necessarily grow up in the industry. And I think that, you know, a door is opening and there's a lot of opportunity now um, for people kind of of all backgrounds um, that we didn't really see before. Uh, I think, you know, if I look at how things have changed over the last 20 years that have been in this business, um, you know, gone are the days where the person who is really good at the relationship is the person who gets the opportunity. So, you know, I've seen that a lot in sales, like, well, I'm the person who knows the guy at Toyota. And, you know, it was sort of like, if you had the relationship, you had the power. And, you know, now that becoming more strategic, um, becoming more savvy, um, sort of, really the hardcore business toolkit is becoming prioritized. I think it just creates more of a meritocracy, which I think benefits both women and minorities in a way that, you know, it certainly wasn't like that when I came out of school. And, you know, I I think as
1: we talked a little bit before we started, uh, you know, on recording today is that, you know, I have a a daughter. My younger daughter has actually risen pretty high up in the corporate. In fact, just as a matter of pure coincidence, her company built Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Oh, right, Sure. And, um, you know, I, I, Melissa would send me pictures and we'd follow along. Oh, I just dropped the name I shouldn't have, but that's okay. Um, But I, you know, when when she first went into this business, she went into the construction business, which is a male dominated business for Mm -hmm. sure. And she went in, you know, as a college graduate, um, she had her, uh, you know, master's degree, had not gotten her MBA, which she has done subsequently. But I remember sitting down with her and having a discussion about, you know, what I thought was good advice, which now has turned into crap advice. (laughs) Um, What would be, you know, if you could roll my clock back for me and and sit across the table from my daughter, Melissa, Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, you know, here's a couple of things that I think you should really take into account as you're, you know, as you're, you know, going up the ladder. And as you're, as you're working in this, you know, in kind of a male dominated world, you know, what are the bullet points, Anne?
0: Well, I think first, and and I think most women would say this, you have to be good. Like you gotta be good at the job, right? And, and you got to focus on that, delivering the outcomes that the job requires. And I think that that helps empower you. You know, when people know, wow, you are good. Like you are on top of it. You're detail oriented. Um, You're doing what we're asking you to do, you're thinking of ways to elevate the game, you know, that that's what they want, regardless of gender. Do
1: you need to be better or is just be good?
0: I think that really is a case-by-case thing. Um, okay. I think, it, you know, ha, yeah. I, I mean, listen. At times, have I felt I needed to be better? Yeah, but I've also left those environments, um, and I think that you know I've sought out opportunities where I felt like there's a little more merit meritocratic. It's a word. That's okay. Yeah, and we make you make up know, words all the time. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good, um, and I think the other thing I would say is you know, I think sometimes women come in and they focus so much on their differences and and that the differences are negative, right? And I think that you can definitely be different in a good way. Um, you know, when I had to integrate into the group at Atlanta United, and and it was myself and, and Carlos Bocanegra, who was the captain of the U.S. Men's National Team and, and played in the Premier League, the Spanish League, the French League. I mean, you name it, he, he played there, and, and including MLS. And then Darren, who was our president, you know, I was a lot different, but I felt like I could communicate and contribute in a different way. You know, sometimes, sometimes when you get too many people with a sport background, you know, I didn't, I didn't play soccer and I don't know all the answers and I don't know who should be on the team. Right. Right. Here's what I know about marketing and business. And so um, I'm not trying to be in your lane. I'm just trying to understand your lane so I can help you in these ways. And I think that approach, you know, was refreshing and different than, than maybe the approach of certain other male colleagues. And I think when you can focus on how you can be complimentary and helpful and and different in a great way, um, then that really helps advance the ball too.
2: So as you mentioned, Ann, you, you worked for uh, a lot of leaders that, you know, mm-hmm. listeners would would know on this podcast and I, I'm a big believer in sort of that purposeful mm-hmm. leadership, right? Somebody that's messaging in a way that I have a sense of purpose to follow, you know, mm-hmm. their lead. Would you be able to share some examples from some of those leaders that, you know, kind of capture that that mantra?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I thought of, of all the people I worked for, Mr. Blank probably did it the best in Atlanta. Um, you know, he had these sort of six core values. And, you know, our joke was that we were all going to get matching core values tattoos because <laughs> <they were> everywhere, <laughs> core values, mouse pad, core values posted up in my cube, like, you know, <laughs> or my office, all this stuff. Um, and, you know, it really was sometimes overkill, like, you know, it was, it was kind of a joke amongst us, but at the same time, we took it really seriously in terms of um, the commitment to the community, um, including everyone, um, listening and responding to employees, fans, players. Uh, you know, those were three of, of the six ones that I felt were super important right. and, um, to have it codified, to have it consistent across the six different businesses that he owned, you know, the PGA tour superstore, the Montana sky guest ranch, the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta United, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the family foundation, like we all had the same core values. And then it was up to us to execute them in our brand and in our company, like in a meaningful way. And, um, just... You know, on the community bid, you know, I was so proud of all the things that my team did and that we were able to do together with the Blank Family Foundation, um, including launching our, our foundation for our MLS team before we even launched the team. Um, and getting involved in community projects from the start and really starting by giving um, is a big component of our business success, but at the same time, um, you know, everyone internalized that and we're excited about it and sort of gratified by that purpose. And I thought Mr. Blank did a really good job of of leading us there.
1: And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go someplace, and, and I and I know that it, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, you can just be honest with us and tell us that it makes you okay. feel uncomfortable. But, you know, Mike, um, of course, is a former Adidas guy. Wait,
2: wait, wait. You read the <laughs> question with, I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable?
1: Well, it's, uh, you, so you know, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to talk about life in this, me, in the Me Too world. and oh, okay. And, but again,
2: and, you're going to associate my name
1: with... No, just <laughs> the fact that we have been footwear guys, and unfortunately you know, the two largest footwear manufacturers brands um, have been in the news within the last 12 months, unfortunately, in a negative way, not in a positive way. Um, Unfortunately, the same situation existed with Ann's former employer, Under Armour. Um, I believe there was a story back in the Wall Street Journal back in November. Um, I heard kind of through my network that there's another story that's going to drop and it's probably going to be a little bit worse, uh, probably going to be a lot worse. Um, you know, how, how do companies kind of reverse the curse of this, you know, the boys club and, and, and that, I mean, wh- what do they have to do?
0: Well, it's interesting. And, and uh, before the call, Mike and I were talking about an article that we read in the Harvard Business Review uh, around this sort of quote unquote bystander effect. Mm-hmm. And when, when culture is an everybody problem and diversity is an everybody problem, um, you know, I think people at all levels need to be empowered um to really say something when things aren't right and to act on things and to help sort of elevate the discourse and interactions and and the culture and and create alternatives to the things that people have been turned off by i think one of the consistent Themes across all those brands is that how people elevated in those companies, for example, was participating in social engagements that maybe weren't consistent with everybody's personal values. Right. Um, that's that's my PR way of saying it. But um, but it's like, all right, if that's the environment, like, how do we create other things that people want to be a part of? Right. And I can tell you, you know, I get so frustrated when I read those articles and it says it made women uncomfortable because I can tell you probably seven out of ten men or eight out of ten men. In those environments were uncomfortable in those situations too. Right. Back, back to this idea of, of this bystander effect, everybody's waiting for someone else to say something. Um, I think those eight out of 10 men should feel empowered to say something. I mean, I knew plenty, I, and I know plenty of men who, who I cherish and respect as business partners, friends, and mentors in this business who wouldn't want to be called dead at some of those things. And, and not even because it's a bad look, quote unquote, but because that's not who they want to be. And, like, I know a lot of people who would much rather be at home with their family and being a dad and doing some of those things than, than being out in the environments described in those articles. Um, so, I think, you know, just to summarize, like, it's an everybody problem. Right. I'll need to be you know, challenge to, to bring issues to the surface and to create alternative programming or ideas. Right. Um, Because when you, when you do that, it just gives everybody a better environment and a better opportunity to be included in the right way.
2: So I kind of specific to, uh, you know, Neil's question, it looks like Under Armour has actually hired a, uh, you know, somebody to actually be their chief people and culture officer that is a, a veteran at Harley Davidson. And yeah. we'll, we'll see, you know, where, where something like that goes. From Chief hey, Chief I'm trying all. to deflect. And then you started your last question associating me with the subject. <laughs> uh, Dan and I are man. sharing articles about the bystander thing. Neil, if you need <laughs> to audit my past expense reports, you can. Um, <laughs> but, but go ahead, Neil.
1: No, I, I no, I really wasn't. I was just more, you know, busting your chops, Mike. Go continue on your line. I'm sorry. No,
2: I I, I was I was I was really appreciative that Ann shared that article with me, and uh, <laughs> my father is listening to this, going, "You really can read the Harvard Business Review." <laughs> to me too. I'd like to see it. No, it yeah. actually is a, a great story. Um, but I think that just to, to piggyback on that and the announcement that Under Armour just made, and I think a lot of brands <laughs> have been through this, and to Neil's point of associating me, I mean, it was just. <laughs> last month that a letter was written to executives at adidas about a culture of command and control and bullying and and in some cases a feeling of of you know people being treated you know in in a racist way like being limited in opportunity is is certainly a definition of 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 racism and i i liked what you said about you know attracting other people from other uh you know industries to the space. And I guess one question there would be is, is, you know, is, is that a product of your, um, talent acquisition? Is that a product of your leader? You know, who should be going out and actually, you know, addressing this?
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I'll have to find for you guys and send to you this article. I, I read, um, on Sint Marshall, who was brought in to the Dallas Mavericks as the CEO um, from from a 30-year career at AT&T, to really help rectify some of the things that were going on there. Um, and can said, I, can
2: I, I stop you real quick? And Neil, yeah. don't associate with me with that one because I only worked <laughs> for the Mavericks for four months. I, <laughs> You're was an intern, mar- right? I was a marketing intern. It didn't count.
1: You know, I'm so much
2: you know, look, I grew old up I in
1: a Jewish yeah. household and I know a little <laughs> bit about guilt, but I don't know, Mike. Sometimes if it walks <laughs> like a duck and talks like a duck, it's yes, a the duck.
2: Yeah. get <laughs> back to this article. I just.
0: Well, it was really interesting about how, why does it always fall to women and why does it fall to women of color to clean it up? And it was such a good question. And there hasn't been enough discussion around that. And, you know, I was, I was a part of the Global Inclusion Council at the NBA. And, you know, when you look, when you're in a room with a portfolio of, of minority and, and female leaders sort of across all facets of the business, whether it was teams, the league office, um, you know, kind of any function, um, you realize that it, you, it, one person is not going to fix it right? And it's this representative leadership and leadership that's in the room at the highest level, whether it's on, you know, the executive committee of the company or the board of the company. Um, But I just think, and I hope I'm answering your question. I don't even know. Maybe this is this Mike, this is more of a comment than a question, but, <laughs> a
2: podcast yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, I think, I think when it comes down to it, you know, it's like having representative people of color in decision-making roles and meaningful decision-making roles and not just over here to steward the people, but not impact the business. I think it's a both and equation, right? Um, that really helps us address some of these issues and elevate the, and elevate the culture.
1: And I I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I have to tell you in the 30 minutes or so that we've been talking, (laughs) I I have been really impressed and not just because you're a woman, but because of the things you said and how meaningful and purposeful and and all the things you said. How did you get this way? Tell me, you know, you said something earlier about, you know, what you were exposed to, I guess, growing up, but how'd you get this way?
0: Oh, gosh, I just have the best parents. I mean, honestly, um, you know, my mom was a teacher. My dad was in the Navy and then worked um, for the Department of Defense. He still works for the Department of Defense 49 years later. Um, So every president since Kennedy, if you can believe that. Um, Hmm. And, you know, my mom taught high school math for 34 years. And I think when you're the child of an educator, and I think you you guys both might be too, but when you're the child of an educator and that gets prioritized and, you know, when when you're the child of someone who has to be a role model every day and look teaching the way the way teaching has gone in this country is that you're you're the parent eight hours a day right and so to all these kids maybe 160 kids and so I think just you you know particularly my mom the emphasis that she placed on doing the right thing and being mindful in those moments of knowing that maybe a kid didn't have a place to go home to. Um, that was a warm and loving home, or maybe, you know, they weren't encouraged and knowing that that was her role. I think that, or, or that she made that her role. And I think that's what really separates sort of excellent, excellent educators from, you know, everyone else. And, and, um, you know, I just think that you internalize that and you learn that and you prioritize that and you just try to do your very best, you know, every day to have an impact.
1: I mean, I'm a grand, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm all those things. But yeah. you used one word that I think, you know, is something that has stuck with me, at least mm-hmm. specifically, mostly since I became a grandparent. And that is, you've got to be mindful, you know, <laughs> think before you open your mouth. You know, if something doesn't look right, chances are it's not right. Mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's a really important lesson um, to trust your gut and your intuition, man. I, I'm sure Mike, you've seen some of these things and I'm <laughs> sure you have too, Neil. Man, when you see something, you're like, I am not sure about that. Every time I have thought that I've been a hundred percent right. Even if I didn't take the right action <laughs> at the time, it, you know, kind of in retrospect, I'm like, Ooh, man. And I think that, you know, just back to the context of our conversation that we we're having earlier around being in these environments and seeing things that maybe aren't consistent with our values, and you really got to trust your gut and and sort of help steer things back in the right direction when you see things veering off course
1: Hey, Ann, do you want to gig on the podcast we've uh talking about getting <laughs> uh having another another voice on the podcast and um, uh, I could talk to you for like six hours here oh
0: oh, that's very nice yeah, hey I'd love to be a part of what you're doing um, <laughs> you know if you guys think I'd be a good interviewer, I'd be happy to do it.
1: Uh, any
2: like as you said this was a comment and it was you know a comment that was well received and you have an open invitation to come on and actually be part of our intro anytime that you know we can uh, ascertain the availability and Mm -hmm. as the son of a a teacher and coach for 40 years my mother taught you know special education Mm -hmm. uh you know clearly uh, after hearing you it's a consolation now that i have a friend like you even though i didn't turn out to be like you so None we really we, we yeah. really appreciate you coming on and, and like neil said it's always an open invitation to have you back on
0: yeah thank you so much it's so flattering um you guys are good at the flattery game but uh, you know it's an honor to be in your number today and look forward to working with you in the future so appreciate and, wh- and what's next for you what what's what's next you know I'm, my next step i'm really thinking about more of a portfolio approach and and you know i think that i've achieved the things i wanted to do in the sports industry you know i sort of ended up in a great office in 645 5th avenue and okay that's wonderful and amazing um and you know running in atlanta united on the business side was super cool and, and being a part of an you know the Super Bowl, Mercedes Benz Stadium, you know, all these things, those things are great. And I feel really accomplished there. But when I think about sort of the way forward, it's like, okay, what do I really want to do? Like, like, mindfully, like, what do I want to do all day? Right. And sometimes those jobs have a way of, you know, you're like, Kind of running behind the truck like whoa, where's this thing going? <laughs> so uh, you know, I really stepped out of that, had a really wonderful vacation, and now I'm thinking about a portfolio of three activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got you guys fit into one of the lanes actually. So the first one is really consulting in, in global sports. So working on a couple of conversations and. and sort of Olympic sport, soccer, um, sort of you know, in that, that global landscape, which I've really, really enjoyed and, and am knowledgeable about. Um, so doing some consulting work there. And then sort of my second lane is getting more engaged in the startup community, um, doing some advisory work, some investing, hopefully some board work. Uh, and that's what I used to do um, before I joined Atlanta United actually. So. And then the third thing, um, and really kind of harkens back to our conversation, is uh, I'm interested in some writing and speaking. I, I can't be invisible and I don't want to go away from the industry. Um, you know, for, for every woman that reaches out to me, there's, a, there's minority men also. Um, whether it's African-American men, whether it's um, Latino men and, you know, as a minority and as a female, I can't go away. And I have an obligation to be present and I, I invisible and I want to be engaged. I want to help people like me. Right. Um, and I have, power, I have the power and the time to do it. Time was really a constraint before I may have had a bigger platform, but I didn't have the time. And so, you know, now I have a little more, more time for that. So I'm looking forward to doing that too.
1: Awesome. This has been wonderful. And uh, I've really enjoyed this call. I know likewise know, Mike likes to wrap it up. And uh, Mike, why don't you uh, wrap it up?
2: I'm, I'm left speechless, but Ann, we're looking forward <laughs> to having
1: you
2: back. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, my Anne. pleasure. guest, my friend, Ann Rodriguez, our sound engineer, Tyrone Litman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington DC office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment. Our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and be sure to rate us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.